Welcome to the podcast version of 32 Bar Cut, the show. A series for performers, about performers, made by performers. Every week, we give audition advice, share personal experiences, and sit down with fellow colleagues in the performing arts to chat about their life in the industry. If you are hearing this message, you are not currently a subscriber and will only be hearing the first half of the podcast. If you would like to hear the full interview, including the Curtain Call series, you'll want to head over to 32barcup.com, where you can find a link to our Patreon page. There you will have exclusive access to the entire video and private RSS podcast feed, as well as other subscriber-only content. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, on to the show. Welcome to 32 Bar Cut, the show, a show where we talk with our friends about what it's like to be a performer. Today on 32 Bar Cut, the show, we have Emmy-nominated, Grammy-nominated, Tony Award-winning Broadway star, Kelly O'Hara. That's a nice intro. (laughs) Well, you know, I try, I try. I gotta let the people know. I mean, I feel like they already know who you are, but just in case, you know, a little reminder. But I also, I mean, I should say that I also consider Kelly a friend and I'm so, I feel so blessed that I got a chance to work with you and spend time with you and kiss me, Kate, and hold your hand every night. (laughs) I was just gonna say, hold your hand every night. (laughs) (laughs) So how have you been doing? I know it's been a, a crazy time, but I, I see that you've been busy, you've been up to things, but how, how are you really? How have you been doing? I am busy. I think busyness is the, is the medicine for all ills, just to keep busy. Um, we're okay. I actually really can't complain about a lot. Um, I've, I've been begging for more time with my kids for you know since they were born, and here I have it. Uh, I'm still singing on different platforms. I'm doing some television work. So I'm, I'm not c- going to complain. I just, and especially after... Um, sort of the events of, of yesterday and like, um, things, I just feel better. But at the same time, you know, I have those days where I just think what's happening right now in this world. So I think it's just, uh, today's a good day. Uh, yeah. In general. Mm-hmm. And for, for those of you watching or listening and you're thinking yesterday, because this, this episode will actually air in March, but she's referring to the presidential inauguration and the historical Mm -hmm. moment we all got to witness and that things feel a little brighter and a little more cheerful. And I see that Kelly and I both wore blue, so I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, so usually on this, this channel or this podcast, we talk a lot about auditions and what it's like to prepare as an actor and the ups and downs of that. And something I don't really know about you is what it was like for you to move to New York, start your journey in theater and what it was like to really start you know, hitting the pavement with auditions. Like what were those first few auditions for whatever shows, whether it be off Broadway, on Broadway, what was it like? Well, you know, I think that I had just enough naivete and a lot of energy and adrenaline um, that a lot of the things I look, now I look back and I think, oh my God, how did I ever do that? I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any leads. I was, it was pathetic. (laughs) Um, I, in fact, my very first audition for anything. I moved like on a Thursday and it was a Monday morning. I went to an open call at what was then raw space, which now doesn't exist. It was on 42nd street between 10th and 11th. And, um, I put on my business suit, my <laughs> lavender business suit. Cause I thought I'm going for a job. <laughs> and I got off the subway. I was staying up at a friend's apartment on their couch. Um, 
I had no place to live. I got off the subway and walked like four long blocks the wrong way. So I walked towards Grand Central. <laughs> so then I was like almost in tears coming back the other way. It took me 45 minutes to get back to 10th Avenue. I go in and I, I, I ended up getting that job. It's the most ridiculous story in the world. And um, it was this little tiny production in Westchester, uh, New York, called Something's Afoot, uh, <laughs> non-union. And I thought, man, I'm here. I've arrived. And then all the stuff started happening. Like after that <laughs> show, you know, ups and downs, you know, not knowing how you're going to pay your bills, lines around the corner from the equity building trying to be seen. I was non-union for a while. Um, things are so different now, of course, but... Um, you know, I would never have been able to get seen or sing a whole song in an audition. So I think there was a combination of, of real just stupidity that made it okay for me, you know, not really knowing, um, what was right or wrong. Um, but also a lot of good luck. And I, I think back to that and I'm very grateful that I had some shots in the beginning. I can completely identify with that. If, when I think back on my first auditions, I cringe because I know that I was, I thought that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, when you come from a classical background, you don't really know how casual it can be in a musical theater audition. And so for my first few auditions, I was way too dressed up. And I, like, I thought it was, you know, a huge uh, taboo to not wear heels in an audition. Like you have to wear heels. And I did some, I did some, very silly things, but I think it helped more than it hurt because I wasn't afraid. I didn't know who I was singing in front of. I didn't have the fear of, of the accolades that whoever this person in front of me had or their achievements. I didn't know. I was just mm -hmm. like, well, you know, this show looks cool. I'm available. You know, let's see what happens. Have you told Kelly your character shoe story? My mm. character shoe story. Actually, I... So this didn't happen early on. This just happened like five years no, that's ago. That's even better. We're still learning. We're still learning. It's so early. I had this character shoe story where I, it was actually for my Lion King audition. I was on tour and I didn't have a lot of heels. I actually didn't have a lot of heels just in general. I wasn't that girl, but I had like a couple pairs and the dress that I wanted to wear, because of course I had to wear a dress. The dress that I wanted to wear for the Lion King audition uh, didn't match the two pairs of heels that I brought on tour with me. So, but I was like, but it matches my character shoes. And my friend on tour was like, oh, that's fine. You can wear these. And I was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah, yeah, wear these. And so I showed up to my Lion King audition in this dress that I really loved, but then these like god awful character shoes. And Mark Brandon <laughs> pulled me aside after the audition and said, um, do you always wear character shoes to your auditions? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, um, you know, you're really great, but I just think when you wear character shoes, it makes you look a little green and a little unprofessional. I was like, oh my God. And they had already called me back later that day. And he's like, you know, don't go get anything, but just, just so you know, I, I just want to help you out. And I was like, okay, well, sure enough, after they released me, I went down the street to DSW and got a pair of bumps. I was like, absolutely not. I can't go out like this. But Oh, I never. I would have thought about that forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a big fashion person and I don't, I've never really, uh, it's always more of a burden to me to feel like I look right. But I did, I do remember, and you say that, doing one audition 
and having some shoes on that I think were pretty good, like some heels. And I always have, now I have lots of heels, but at the time, pretty decent shoes. I don't know if I had gotten them for a job or something, but they were good shoes. And I remember opening night of that show, the choreographer coming over to me and saying to me, you know what? I knew you were a girl right from when I saw your shoes in the audition. And I thought, oh my God, it matters that much. Like it just, it almost made me mad because <laughs> I thought my talent got me here, you know, yeah. and to hear someone say, I remember your shoes from the audition. And I thought, wow, I had no, I just got lucky. I got lucky on that. And by the way, with my business suit, that lavender purple business suit, I definitely wore my character shoes with it. <laughs> Because you don't know. And you, like you said, you don't think that they're even paying attention to something like your shoes, but they are, they notice everything. You walk in the room and they just, they, you start being, you're assessed and then they decide. Absolutely. Do you feel like at this point, because I don't know this, I am not where you are in, in my career. So I'm curious, like, are you at the point now, which is a dream to me that for 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 any show like any musical theater show or whatever are you at the point where it's just straight offers you never have to audition you're just like you're deciding oh do I want to do this <laughs> oh no I've like egg on my face you know I believe me we all have those things that keep us humble um so any television or anything like that that I've ever wanted to do it's like I start right from the, it's like I'm back in that lavender sh- suit with character <laughs> shoes on but I will say I'm not gonna lie I mean in musical theater I'm so grateful and there's such a peace in me that yes I I am at a point where I've made relationships in the business and it's what what will I do next and I'll have a conversation with somebody and we might think of a show to do and if there's enough support in that then we'll do it um, I have not auditioned for a musical in, in, a, in a long while. But I think if there was a play, and boy, believe me, I would love to be considered for a, a really juicy role in a play. I, I think absolutely a director would say, I don't, I don't buy it. I need to see her first. And, you know, famously, Bart Shear, he won't do a musical. I, I didn't audition for The King and I, but he won't do a musical usually without seeing, without auditioning. And it doesn't matter who you are, like mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson. I remember they came in for one of his musicals and he, he made them audition. So I think we have to be ready at any time, you know, to be assessed or whatever it is. But <laughs> these days I'm sort of just picking and choosing by, by virtue of like who I'll work with and will it be nice and fun and, and a pleasant experience and will it challenge me and things. So I feel like you've earned that though. I mean, it didn't, it's not like it just fell in your lap. You, you've paid your dues, you know, people like to use that phrase, but it does really work. Like you've, I feel like you've earned the, 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 the time in your life to set, to pick and choose and to have conversations with creators and stuff. Well, listen, what do we earn any of us? I mean, some things were felt easy for me and I, I, I do think that hard work what I've told you know students, especially, hard work begets more work. Hard work mm-hmm. and being a good collaborator, being a good colleague. So, in a way, yeah, you could you know I could pat myself back on the back a little bit and say, oh, I guess I've built these relationships, and and when they're doing a new project, they might think of me. They don't always use me. I've been turned down by those same people, but um, but there's also a lot of uh, just being in the right place at the right time or. Um, something being right for you or whatever that is. Um, and I try not to, to say it's too much like I earned it all, you know, (laughs) but, um, because there's plenty of stuff that I worked hard for that, you know, you, you didn't get the, get it either. So I wonder too, that 
sometimes you almost want the chance to audition because when you get the chance, it's like, don't just, I feel like some casting directors may say, Kelly O'Hara does this thing. Right. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you may feel that, you know, no, let, give me a chance to show you something else. Let me, let me show you what I can do. I think you're exactly right. I think we want to have a chance. There are a lot of assumptions, mm-hmm. assumptions that are, that are made for all of us. Uh, you know, we all feel that. And so they might not even have you in the room because they already write you off as being not what they think they want. So in that particular case, you're exactly right. If there's something that you look at and you say, I want that, and I know no one will believe me, but I'm going to go prove them wrong, then, you know, you have to fight for it. And the best way to do that is to present yourself in a, in a, you know, convincing way. Definitely. And I think, you know, you spoke a little bit about being a collaborator and I feel like it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're difficult to work with, eventually people will start writing you off and deciding, you know what, it's just that I'd rather work with someone I have fun with than deal with the, you know, the mood swings or the, the, you know, the outbursts or the whatever. No, I, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And even if you do succeed in that and continue to succeed in with that sort of lifestyle and behavior, you might be on top, but you'd be very lonely. And I think that is something to point out because, um, in, you know, I won't name anybody in particular, but especially more, more so not so much in our business, but in the big leagues, you know, the, Mm -hmm the superstars out there. I do know stories about people who just continue to be, um, real disrespectful (laughs) and, and they continue to sort of thrive. And I think, um, I could guess I could bet a million dollars that it's a lonely existence. Um, because it's, you, you put you bring that to yourself. You know, if you don't need people, if you don't feel you need them, um, or if they're just here to serve you, then you don't, people don't truly know you and you don't truly know them. And I, I never wanted to be that way. I wanted to be so much more, um, you know, rich in my existence. You know, I, I don't want to have a lonely life. I want to have a collaborative one on and off the stage. And, and that's, there's some humility in that, you know, mm-hmm. um, we need people, we need each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel, I do feel like on stage, people can feel that, that energy that you have with your, your colleagues on stage. For, for example, if you're having a scene with someone and you're really in that scene with them and, and that you, you're feeding off each other, mm-hmm. I feel like that energy is strong enough for the person in the back row to see and feel. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what makes powerful performances for me. Whenever I go see a show and I can see the connection that the actors have. And it's not just one person show or another person show, but they're all collectively, even if it's just this one person that comes in and they're like the waiter and that's the only reason yeah. they were hired <laughs> for that play. You know, it's, it, those are the most enjoyable moments for me. And having worked with you and spent time with you and gotten to know you, I feel like you have one of the most generous spirits that I've been able to be around and I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I feel like you are so far from any diva personality. I think that you embody all the things that, um, make theater and and performing great. Really? You really do. Boy, I've got you fooled. (laughs) Um, No, thank you so much. But I think it takes, it's a two way street. It always is. You know, I feel like when you feel like someone is generous to you and, um, is there for you, 
I, I love the relationship on stage between two people who are sort of batting it back and forth and catching and throwing and, you know, playing that great ball game, um, as opposed to sort of a solo act, um, that, that never changes based on the person next to them. I just find that a boring, like yeah. really boring, a boring way to work where you set your tone yourself. Um, and I just don't, I, I don't think it's fair to the other person. You know, we're, we're doing this to be malleable and to, to feel. And, you know, I was thinking about what you said about a waiter. You know, I know that it's cliche to say there are no small parts, but think about reality. I've, I've had some extraordinary experiences with waiters, you know, like, <laughs> like I mean, I started singing to be honest, I have a great story where I was waiting tables and I was, it was a ta- uh, restaurant where you sing. I ended up singing at this man's funeral, getting to know his family because I had sung at their table. Like it, you make connections. And so there might be a waiter on stage, but if you looked at them any given Saturday matinee, you'd be like, he reminds me of somebody, you know, and all of a sudden they're a person that, that, in, that, that belongs in the story, you know? So I think you make connections with everything and in doing so, and that can be the same for real life. In other words, noticing everything around you. Mm-hmm. It, uh, your life is just richer and fuller and you never know where the change makers are. You never know what's going to happen in one interaction. You know, So that's the same thing for me on stage. You know? Yeah, you never know what's going to happen in one interaction. That's so true. Someone could say one thing to you and it's something you apply to your life for a few years and they never know, knew that they impacted you in that way. That's happened to me many times. Of course, I can't think of one moment right now, but that's happened to me a lot. Well, I recently, um, and I, I don't want to take too much time with these little stories. I can always talk back. Oh, no, okay. please but, do. Um, please there was a do. woman at the grocery store, and because she had her mask on, this is just recently, um, something had happened where there was a mistake with the credit card, and she was so lovely about it um, in front of me, and I was just observing it all. And I looked at her and she had the same hair and the same hands and the same body and everything as my late mother-in-law and the same voice, but she had a mask on. So I, I placed my mother-in-law's face on her without thinking I was doing it and was watching her and I was watching her be kind. And then she turned to me and was apologetic and being kind. And I remember thinking to myself as she left being like, Hi, Pam. Like as if I had been visited by Pam just for a second, almost like a little gift. I took it as that. And I've since seen her around town. I've seen this woman always in a mask, but I know it's her. And I have this weird feeling like I'm being, I'm having these little visitations of, I was very close with my mother-in-law. I know that's a silly story, but I just mean it's the small moments that can be sort of monumental if you notice them. I might've been looking at my phone and not even looked up at this woman. And yet I almost feel like she's this connection for me just to have Pam in my heart. Mm-hmm. So I, I like noticing things that are, that are odd or, or seemingly small. Yeah. There's a, I can identify with that. There's a man in, um, in my neighborhood. He just stands outside. I don't know, really know what he's up to, but he reminds me of my grandfather and uh, I was really close to my grandfather and he passed away when I was 13 and there's just something about this man that reminds me of him. And so uh, I started saying hello. And then that turned into me and Bella stopping and him petting Bella and her warming up to him because at first she was not having it. Mm-hmm. And now um, whenever I see him, he and I will just, we just have a chat. And sometimes I have Bella, sometimes I don't. And 
it's just nice. And it, it does feel like I'm being visited by my grandfather. I know that it's not true or possible, but it he reminds me of him. And it's nice to think about him, you know, 20 years later and just, you know. What do we know about the the uh, the deliverers of messages? We don't yeah. know. We don't really know. So you say, I don't know what he's up to. I sort of do. <laughs> I, I like to believe in that. You know, I believe that there's... Um, what if, what if there is an afterlife and what if there is a way to, to check in, mm. um, and say hello once in a while. And if there was, then it seems like it's being successful and, and, and probably because you were open-minded about it, open to it. You know, mm. I think a lot of people would shut the door on that option. A man who stands outside, you know, in New York or Brooklyn or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that's, that's sort of a beautiful story. If you look at it that way. I love that. I really do. It's one of those things where I know for me, the way I grew up, I grew up extremely conservative Christian in the Midwest. It was, I would just describe myself as one of those, uh, a very naive yet kind young lad. And then um, moving first to Chicago with Adrian and then, um, and then moving to New York, I had to check myself so much because I, I feel like I've turned into this crude, nasty version of myself in order to survive. And it's just really lovely to hear that we can still be kind. We can still have connections with people, even in the worst of places, which could be the New York subway. Yeah, yeah. New York can feel like a lonely place, even though it's filled with people. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. And, and, you know, uh, everything, we, we move with a modicum of care and, and, and safety, of course. We don't just walk up to somebody and, you know, invite <laughs> them in, but um, especially in New York, but there are these moments of sort of peaceful um, circumstance that I think it's more, it's less about involving ourselves in dangerous things or possibly dangerous and more about just noticing, noticing when there might be signs or messages or, um, I think life is sort of what you make it, you know, mm-hmm. a faith belief, anything it is, is sort of what you make it. And, and sort of that's, it's all to get through, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a weak thing. I think of it as a, a, a needed, a necessary thing. And I love those moments that when we notice them might've, might've been a little bit of a gift. Yeah. And who, and if, who cares if they're not, because you <laughs> felt it as one, you know, you feel it as one. Absolutely. Isn't, isn't that the point at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, because life is just a series of interpretations, right? It's it's your perspective, and so it can be what you make it. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Um, I have spent the week researching you for this uh, for this interview. I was about to say audition. Oh my gosh, researching you for this. God, for this. I hope I get it. <laughs> and and that's simply because um, I wanted to make sure that we talked about things that that you and I identified with or that you identified with is something you can share that's new because I know you've done a lot of sit downs throughout the years with folks. And I came across the accidental wolf and I wanted to talk with that, talk with you about that project and what it was like to embody Kate and, and just anything you want to share about the accidental wolf. Yeah. You know, just going back to its, its, you know, creation, Arian Moyed, its creator, writer, director, and I had done King Lear together. And Arian didn't know me. Uh, talk about people making assumptions. He had no idea I was a musical theater actor. He was he had no idea I was a singer at all. He just knew me as the actress in, in the Shakespeare play. 
And he had already made some short films and he was a writer and he said, I'm going to write, I want to write a show with this girl, you know, and that would a compliment to me. And over the course of literally years, he would come to my dressing room at King and I, while he was doing the humans, you know, we, we made this work and he was creating Katie, Katie Bonner. He had so much to say. He still does about the world. Um, he's an Iranian American. He has a lot to say about, you know, immigration and, and, anything, all things that are going around the world and how it's affected. And this one idea of how far would you go to help a stranger? Mm. And I love that he gave me this. I've learned so much about on camera work in a way that wasn't scary, or I didn't feel like, you know, I was left out. I, I, he would talk me through lenses and what this means and lighting. And he has the most extraordinary people that he's put together for this. Um, we've been working on it in the pilot episode, which was originally a short film that turned into a pilot of a series, my baby is in the pilot episode. I'm nursing her and Charlotte is now seven and a half. So that's how long we've been doing this project. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of thing you do it in between things, you know, and he's, I mean, he's shooting a Marvel movie right now and he's in succession on HBO and he, you know, so he's very busy himself. But it has been the most extraordinary experience that has led, I think, to new opportunities and new jobs. And it started out as this little engine that could. And I, I, I cannot thank him enough in general for sort of believing in someone who really didn't have any expertise in it whatsoever. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a series of moments that happen in careers like ours where someone takes a chance on you or it feels like they, they, they mm-hmm. see something in you. And they want to see where that can go. And I know earlier you mentioned, you know, that you had a lot of luck in the beginning, but I feel like it's, um, it's a moment for, uh, people to just see what you have to offer or, or just see you flourish and allow you that chance to flourish. And I mean, I really enjoyed the series. I, I was sad that it kind of left spoiler alert on a, a bit of a cliffhanger because I was uh, like, well, what happens? I was just ready for everything to be like tied up. And I was like, okay, so well, there has to be a season two. Well, he'll never give you a tie up bow. He will never oh. do that. But there's a season two coming up very soon, actually in March. Oh, and then okay. we're shooting season three as well. So, um, it's, it's coming, you know, it's been in pieces, you know, at first it was a short form series and it got mm-hmm. bought, it's being re-edited. So it's just coming in its own time. But, um, but you know how we were talking in the beginning about needing others, being humbled by that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not so much luck or, or, you know, I did this for myself and therefore I'm a big, you know, I'm successful. You need those people to, um, we all do to open that door. Now you have to come to the party once you're in, you have to be there, but, and, and or try to deserve it and earn it. But, um, you're right. I, to have an opportunity like that really took someone else's sort of opening open mind and vision of that. And, um, and I, I like to remember that because that makes me feel, um, like I continue to be collaborative and, and that, that, that particular experience is, is still just really rewarding for me. Yeah. I wondered about uh, something that Adrian and I talk about all the time at dinner is with TV and film because we're such musical theater people, but Adrian's been doing so many TV and film auditions and we're just kind of waiting for that. Uh, I haven't booked anything yet. (laughs) It just seems like, how do you even start or what you were saying even casually about lenses and lights and it can seem like, 
I don't know if I'll ever be able to do this. Do you have any thoughts on, on, on all that? Yeah, no, I would, I would, I mentioned this and I'm very grateful to have some of this now education. I, I, there's a lifetime of it that I don't have. I'll often, even now working on the new show I'm working on, I'll forget, oh, right, the, they're over there, you know, because the director's like, could you please turn your head? You're talking like this. Um, so there's a lot I have to learn, but I, I really think that a lot of people think they cut our genres up and they don't put them together, but acting, this sense of, of being and telling stories and, and, you know, getting inside a character and stuff. It's really, to me, it can be across the board. You're just using sort of different skills. You know, I think of even opera. Um, I want to be more inside a character, I think, than some people think of opera because it's really definitely about getting inside the vocal difficulties. But I want to be inside that person who might be more presentational. I want to get inside the sort of, in Katie's um, case, in the accidental wolf, the more contemporary, realistic, you know, whisper of Katie. Whereas on the stage with something like kiss me, Kate, the sort of larger than life, um, you know, musicalized version of a, of a person who with, with comedy and the larger than life kind of stuff. So, you know, it's all different, but it's the same, really. It's the same intention. It's the same truths, truths. (laughs) And, um, so I wouldn't ever shy away from it because you think that there, you have too much to learn. I would learn on the spot. I think that's what life is. We're, um, we can't, even if you went to a master's program and then a doctoral program in any of this, the true education of it is in the doing of it. So you have to get started at some point. So, you know, don't put it off. Absolutely. And I think when I first started out, just in, in theater and, and being on stage, because I have a classical background, but really just more so choral, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a choral student. And I didn't know what upstage and downstage was. Oh. And, you know, and I just asked, I remember I went to a pay to sing program, a pay to sing opera program at Georgia state. And he said, you know, something like Adrian go upstage. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. And I, you know, I heard Snickers and I remember at the time not caring because I was like, well, I don't know what it means, you know, right, exactly. but as I get older and I, I feel like I need to know things, I get so fearful of being in a situation where I don't know something and I don't have the bravery that I used to have where I would just say, hey, I don't know what that means and just own it. And I think there's something really, there's a peace that comes with being able to say, I don't know this and knowing it's, that's okay. You can't Absolutely, know everything. Absolutely, it's okay. And think about our business. People want to know things. They want to be helpful. You know, it is a collaboration. And especially with television, if you can bring the humanity and the truth and you, it's their job. It is their job to light you correctly, film you correctly, capture it correctly. If they need to go in closer, that's not your... I, I think a lot of television and film actors get involved in that. And, you know, some become directors and they get involved with like, what shot are you doing? Where are you coming from? And I get that. It totally affects, you know, if you know that you're going to be here, you're probably not going to start screaming, you know? So I think you want to know, but at the same time, you have a director who says, Hey, we're going to go really close, you know, or you have a lighting, you have a, a DP, a director of photography, you have people who are using their expertise to capture the only thing you have to do is tell the truth mm-hmm. and um, they'll give you notes about it, like the size and the scope. But, um, and then when you don't know something, I think 
who doesn't, what director doesn't want to say, well, let me tell you, because I know, you know, that <laughs> give other people a chance to be involved. If you're the person who walks in and says, I know everything, then you intimidate everybody else and they don't feel collaborative. And then it's a, so in other words, I believe that just being honest about things and, and humble, humble is my word for this mm-hmm. entire year. Um, it only makes you more of a teammate, you know, because you're, you're allowing people to come in and, um, and then giving of yourself in a full way that is, that is honest. And as opposed to being riddled with concerns of not being perfect, um, nothing about acting in my opinion is perfect. It's the, the messes are the, the beauty. So. Yeah, absolutely. We we recently watched this movie called The Florida Project. Is that what it was called? Yeah, The Florida Project. And uh, Carmen Cuba cast the the movie, but it was filled with these these just seemingly regular people. I mean, the way that they performed, it just seemed like you were watching their lives happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have a chance to watch uh, to watch it, but it was it was it. really great. And uh, the the star of the whole film was just this young, maybe six or seven year old girl, <laughs> and just going through her life. And um, it's not an easy watch. It's a little difficult yeah. to watch at times, but it was it was really great and natural. And I think, like you said, the beauty is in the mistakes and the the imperfections, mm-hmm. and just because we are imperfect naturally, and. Yeah. The yeah. more nat- the more close we can get to being natural, the better the performance seems to be for me. Absolutely, try not to lose any of that those question that questioning person that you are. Yeah, I think once you become sort of too too slick, <laughs> you know, and too too knowledgeable about everything, um, the, you're not as interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's the challenge of getting better and knowing more is that you lose some of your your ability to to be fresh. And different. Ooh, that makes sense. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, we are going into, sorry to pivot so quickly, yeah. into, but we're going into what we call the stage door round where mm-hmm. I'll ask you a few questions and you just give me whatever answer comes first to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first question is your best or your most favorite post-show treat? Uh, chocolate with caramel inside (laughs) does it matter what brand or it can be like any kind of like like turtles or something well turtles my good now you're hitting it right on the (laughs) nail on the head now turtles that's that that's the ultimate if it's got some pecan in there too but um i think just like a uh oh well a ghirardelli square with the the, or but i i always like the godiva just chocolate covered caramels I, i i used to walk in there and on a and get me some treats, you know? Um, but really, really any of those caramelly covered chocolate covered caramels, but a turtle is, is bringing it right home. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) I can't find them here, like in New York, like the way I want them. Like you can, Austin and I went to Savannah and you, you know, you go to one of the treat shops down there and you can find everything you want, but yeah. Yes. I did not know that about you. I just, now I want one of those. Now I want one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So what are your dressing room must haves? Uh, some music, um, Mm. the ability to be music, um, some candles, um, a space to stretch out and then just personal affects. Well, two things, personal affects and show affects, you know, something that brings Adrian and I hope that you have enjoyed listening to the show thus far. 
If you'd like to hear the full interview and get access to the curtain call, head on over to 32barcut.com, where you can find a link to our Patreon page. There you will have exclusive access to the entire video collection and private RSS podcast feed, as well as other subscriber-only content. All right, that's all I got. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.